as well. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28. It's an old question, and then a pizza company co-opted it some time ago. What do you want on your tombstone? I'm interested often by the epitaphs and the, the figures and the designs that are on tombstones. I guess I'm a little bit of a strange person, but I, I enjoy walking through and seeing some of the quotes and seeing some of the sayings that people have on their tombstones. Um, if you've ever been up to Winston-Salem and you've been to the old Salem section of town, you know that the Moravians have their churches there. That was their gathering. If you walk through their cemeteries, their cemeteries are a little bit different. I've told Lynn that when I die, this is the kind of tombstone I want. I don't want anything elaborate, but they have basically a simple rectangle stone that lays flat on the ground. It has their name, it has the years of their life, and it has just simply a scripture reference. And each one is different. Now, they don't, they don't bury with families like we do. They bury as they die. And, of course, the men sit together in church and the women sit together in church. And that might solve a lot of our problems. I don't know if we might want to try that some Sunday. Not burying y'all that way, having y'all sit that way, which with some of y'all may not be a whole lot of difference on Sunday morning. But many are cold and a few are frozen. But that's the, I'm sorry, y'all got me headed right down the wrong path this morning. But they bury, and that's how, they, as they die, they're buried next to the person who died previously. And I love the simplicity of that. But through the years, I've, I've read and I've tried to watch and I sort of keep a record of different ones that I've seen and different ones that others have seen. And tombstone epitaphs can be pretty, pretty interesting. There's one that was seen in England, and apparently it was from some years back. It said, the children of Israel wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Old man Wallace wanted a wife, and the devil sent him Anna. <laughs> I like this one from a Georgia cemetery. It's just one simple statement. I told you I was sick. I believe that must have been a husband. I like this one. Now listen, this man was 102 years old, but on his tombstone it said, the good die young. In the old west, here lays Butch, we planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. <laughs> this one's not quite a humorous one, though someone added some things to it. This is from Waynesville, North Carolina, actually. Come, blooming youths, as you pass by, and on these lines do cast an eye. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you must be. So prepare for death and follow me. Someone came along and added to it underneath it. To follow you, I am not content. How do I know which way you went? Tombstones, the words on them, the epitaphs of our lives, whether they're written in stone or not, have much to say about who we are. And I wondered this morning, if we think about it, I, I, this week has been a week in which um, I have been reminded of the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life. We have had those within our own church family who have passed away. One of our charter members, Margie Holloway, her funeral was in the morning. We've heard, many of us have heard of a pastor, who, an evangelist who has stood in this pulpit many times over the years, and I've heard many times over the years, Junior Hill passed away this week. Just right outside our church, right here in front of the church, early in the week, there was an accident, two lives taken just like that. Life is uncertain. Life is unclear. We don't know when it's going to be taken from us. 
And this sermon this morning is not for those who have reached the point in life that David had and that maybe some of us have where we begin to think about the end of our life a little more clearly and a little more, uh, it's, it's, it's a, more of a certainty for us. It's for every one of us because the Bible says that, that life is uncertain. The Bible says that life is a vapor. We have to prepare now. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And we are living now. You know, I love when preachers say, if you are, and then we say something, we expect to sort of qualify everybody. But this morning I would say, if you're alive this morning, would you raise your hand? Some of y'all weren't quite sure, so you're trying to figure that out. It's one of those things, it's 100%. We're living now. And how we are living now will determine what will the end of the journey will be. So it's not a matter of waiting until I'm 60 or 70 or waiting until I have some um, disease or sickness to begin to wonder how should I live in preparation for the end. Every one of us must begin now. We are living now, and how we live determines what we're looking toward. There are really only three options in life. And if you, this is a key question for every one of us. All of us will choose one of these three ways. You can spend your life, you can waste your life, or you can invest your life. My question to each of us this morning, and I hope that the Holy Spirit will take this question into our hearts and show the truth of where we are. Are you just merely spending your life? Are you tragically wasting your life? Or are you eternally investing your life? So that when we come to the end, whether for some of us it's 50 years down the road, or whether for some of us it may be just a matter of days, that we are prepared, as we will see in the life of David, that David had lived in such a way that he was ready. And what did God write on his tombstone? Not what would I want there to be, but what does God? You see, God's the one that truly knows us. God's the one that knows us like no one else knows us. Better than our spouse, better than our children, better than our parents, better than our closest friend. God sees our entire life, and he would write words for us. The Bible is clear about the admonition for being prepared. A number of verses of Scripture come to mind. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die. Someone has said that the death rate is 100%. Proverbs 27, 1, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Amos chapter 4 and verse 12, God said, prepare to meet thy God. Are you prepared to meet God this morning? Are you prepared? I'm not talking just about your soul's salvation, though first and foremost, you better make sure that your soul is prepared to stand prepared to meet God. But are we as believers ready to stand before God? Deuteronomy 32, verse 29, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood that they would consider their latter end. Psalm 39, 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Psalm 90 and verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And then, of course, James 4, 14, You know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then 
vanishes away. How do we live? Well, I want you to see some things this morning from the life of David, the closing chapters of David's life, his tombstone, if you will, that God has written, and the account that we have of how he ended. We know that David did not live a perfect life, so please do not take away from this this morning that I am saying you've got to live a perfect life between now and the end of it, or that the errors and the mistakes and the sins of your past are unforgivable or uncleansable. But I am saying that with David, we can come to that place. We can live our life in such a way that when we come, we are prepared for it. First of all, we need to live now so that the end of our journey will be a time of reflection. Look with me in chapter 28. David assembles in verse 1 all the leaders of Israel. And in verse 2, he stood up upon his feet. If you understand David's physical condition near the end of his life, you know that 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 was something else, that he was able to even stand up. And he said, hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said to me, thou shalt not build a house for my name because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. David's end was a time of reflection. He was first of all in these verses able to reflect on what God's purpose for his life was. He starts with what God did not allow him to do. You remember that David wanted to build the temple. David had prepared to build the temple. It was in his heart. It was not just some ambition for himself, but it was an ambition to fulfill the promises of God and be a part of leading his people by preparing a place where the presence of God would be manifested among his people. And God said, David, you are a man of war. You are a bloody man. You're not the one to do this. How do we handle and respond to the no's of God in our life? We often talk about surrendering to God's will. God, this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. But what about the things that God says no? You see, sometimes there are things that God purposely has for us to do. There are things that God allows us to do, and then there are some things that God simply shuts the door and says, no, I don't want you to do that. And a surrendered life is one that says, God... I'm following you. I'm living for you. And I will accept your will no matter what. And if your will is a no, then I'll accept a no. And that's what David was able to do. David very easily could have just said, hey, don't want me to build it? Fine, I'll have nothing to do with it. But David says, no, God did not allow this. God, this was not God's will. This was not God's purpose for my life. But he also reflected on what God did allow. Do you see that in verse 4? How be it, the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. He said he did want me to be king. This is what he has for me. This is God's purpose for me. A lot of times we have dreams and aspirations of what aspirations of what we want to do and what we want to be. And God simply says, no, that's not what I have for you. And it's a struggle. It's hard. Sometimes we will press and we will try to do it anyway. And God says, this is what I have for you. David, I want you to be the king. I want you to lead my people. I want you to be the shepherd of the flock. The Bible says that David was what? A man after God's own heart. Why? Because he said, God, what you don't want me to do is fine, but I'll do everything that I can do. I'll do what you have for me. He reflected on God's purpose in his life. Are you submitted? I I want to, when when I reach the end... 
And I may not have time to stop and think about what's going on. The end may come so suddenly that I don't have time to reflect. But I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was submitted to God's purpose for my life. I often go to the verse, and for some reason I feel compelled to share this this morning, but I often go to the verse from the Psalms that says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. You know what that tells me? That if I'm submitted to God's purpose, and by God's grace I desire to be, that if there is something in my life that I want that is not there, God is saying either that's not a good thing or it's not a good thing for you. If I'm walking uprightly, if I'm following Christ, I have to be ready to say, God, that difficulty that you brought into my life, I didn't choose this. I didn't want this. That that you withheld from me, I wanted that. I would like that. And God is saying, I will bring and allow those things into your life. And so David is able to say at the end, God, you wouldn't let me do this, but you let me do this. This is what you had for me. And I can say that I have fulfilled that purpose. I pray and trust that that is true of every believer here this morning, that you are following after God's will and God's purpose for your life. But David also reflects on God's promises. He goes on in the next verses, in verse 5 down through verse 8. He says, Of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom, the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He shall build my house and my courts. He'll, look at verse 7. I will, God is saying, I will establish his kingdom forever. What is David referring back to? David is referring back and thinking back to the covenant that God made with him when he first became king. We call it the Davidic covenant. He's reflecting on God's promises to him. We, as we prepare for the end of our life, when we're looking toward that journey, when there will be a tombstone and what will be on it, I hope that there will be, they rested in the promises of God. Someone asked uh, one of the great missionaries of the past, Adoniram Judson, as he had been through all that he had been through, sickness, lost his wife, lost another wife, lost child after child to sickness, was in prison, and they asked him about the future. He said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. How can we look at our situation around us? We look to the promises of God, and David says, look, the promise that God gave me, I can look back, and it's God's promises that have carried me all the way. All the way my shepherd has led me. All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to task beside? That is what God does for us in the promises. But it's more than just mere promises. It's not just the promise of providing and being with us. It is the covenant that he has made with David. You and I aren't offered the Davidic covenant. Our descendants will not be on the throne forever. And, of course, that was pointing toward Christ, not merely Solomon. It was not... It was fulfilled through Solomon, but not in Solomon. It was fulfilled in Christ. It is Christ's kingdom that will last forever. But we are offered a better covenant. We have a new covenant. I have made covenant with Christ. And I know that when the time comes for however my life ends, that I can look back and I can rest in that moment and I can reflect on the fact that one day, many years ago, just as a child, when I entered into covenant with Jesus Christ, 
And David said, he's a God who has kept covenant and he will keep covenant. And I can tell you that I am assured this morning and I am certain of my eternity because I have entered into covenant with Jesus Christ. And he is a covenant-keeping Savior. And I remember the day as clear as it can be. I don't remember all the details. I was just a child, but I remember placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I remember that moment when my mom once again shared the gospel that I had heard many times and that I understood and had been convicted by, and she shared the gospel with me in the back seat of that car in eight lanes of traffic traveling through Tallahassee, Florida, and my dad got so excited he ran a red light and almost took me to heaven immediately. I was glad I prayed before we went through the intersection. But it was at that moment that I entered into an eternal covenant, a new covenant, a better covenant with Jesus Christ as my Savior. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the most important thing that you can do to prepare for the end of your journey is at this moment is to trust Him as your Savior, to say, God, I am a sinner and I have no means of saving myself, but I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross and I believe He rose from the dead three days later and I am proclaiming Him and confessing Him as my Savior and as my Lord. And when you do that, you enter into a far better covenant than David ever had, but not a far better better God because he's the same God. David says, I remember the promises of God that have kept me. This is God's faithfulness to his covenant. And that's what brings me to the end of my journey. And I know that I can finish with faithfulness because it's not me who's been faithful. It is God who has been faithful. It's a time of reflection, but for David, it was also a time of readiness In this chapter, he begins to talk about all that he has done to get ready for this moment. Are you preparing for that moment? How you live your life now? I'm not talking about your finances, though it's great to have your finances in order. It's great to talk to your financial advisors and have your insurance and all those papers in order. And I can assure you that no matter how much you have things in order, the government will will mess things up when you get to that point and make things difficult, but do the best you can. Be prepared. I'm talking about being prepared spiritually in what we've invested our life in. You see, there's something of far greater value than our temporal possessions, than our finances, than the money that we have in the bank. There is our life. There is our time. There is our abilities. There are the things that God has given to us. And what are we doing with them? Are we hiding them in the ground like the man that took his one talent and hid it in the ground? Are we investing it? Are we spending our lives? Are we wasting our lives or are we investing our lives? David had invested his life. How had he invested it? Well, we see several ways in this text. Beginning in verse 9, he says, thou Solomon, my son. David had invested his life in preparing Solomon to be king. Solomon was not the firstborn. Solomon was not his eldest son. He was not the one that would be chosen, but God had chosen Solomon. And so David speaks to Solomon, and notice what he says. He says, Solomon, I want you to know God. He says, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father. Know the God of thy father? David had fulfilled Deuteronomy chapter 6 where he says, when you teach your children, he said, these things which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them to thy children. I wonder if we could pull our children aside to give them one last word of advice. If we could pull that family member aside or that neighbor aside, we knew that that was the last word we would speak to them. 
I wonder if we could say with all humility, know my God. Know God like I have known God. Can you imagine David saying that? Know the God of your father. Yes, a sinful man. Yes, a flawed man. Yes, an imperfect leader, an imperfect husband, an imperfect father, but a man who was after God's own heart, a man who began as a young boy praising and writing worship to God and expressing it through his praise in this field as he played on the harp and as he watched his father's flock. And then as God began to elevate him to a soldier and to a general and then to king itself, and as he led God's people, he was a man after God's heart. And he says, this is my God, and I want my God to be your God too. There is nothing more we can do, nothing greater we can do than to invest our lives in helping others and encouraging others and leading others to know Jesus Christ. And I don't mean just praying a prayer of salvation. I'm talking about knowing him and walking with him and living for him. And it's not just so they'll be like us. And so our sons and our daughters and the next generation of this church and our family and our friends and those that will come behind us, as the old song says, oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. It's so they will know the blessedness of walking with God, that they will know the blessedness of worshiping our God, that they will know the blessedness and the joy of having sweet fellowship with God and experiencing His glory and experiencing His presence in our personal worship and in our public worship and knowing God. He says, Solomon, I want you to know my God. And not just know my God, he said, I want you to serve God. Know thou the God of thy Father and serve him with a perfect heart, with a complete heart. He says, I want you to seek after God. The Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. Let me say something to everyone in this building. Whether you're younger than me or older than me, whether you're one of our students or whether you're a senior saint, I want you to know that if you seek after God, he will be found of you. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. That's the promise of God. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. God is is as close to you as you want to be to him. That doesn't matter how long you've been saved. It doesn't, you don't have to have been saved for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have entered into that relationship of knowing him and serving him and seeking him. Seek God, David said. He said, I want you to know God. I want you to serve God. I want you to seek God. But then he says to Solomon, I want you to trust him. In verse 11 and 12, he gives him the instructions, the pattern for building the temple and the pattern of all that the Holy Spirit had given him. Drop down to verse 20, and I want you to see this. This is where the trust comes in. David said to Solomon, his son, after giving him all these things, the pattern and the plan, be strong and of a good courage and do it. Fear not, nor be dismayed, for the Lord thy God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee, until thou hast finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. What a great heritage to be able to pass that confidence to those that we leave behind of whatever age. To say, you can trust God. I have been young and now I am old and I have yet to see the, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. God is 
a God who keeps his promises. He is one you can trust in. And just as this reference refers back to this wordage that is so clear of Joshua chapter 1, where God says to Joshua, Joshua, here's the task I have for you. You're going to take the land of Canaan. You're going to enter the land. You're going to divide the land. or You're going to, you're going to conquer the land, and you're going to divide the land. And he says, I'm going to be with you all the way to dividing the land. He's saying to Joshua, Joshua, you're going to go into this project. You're going to go into this task, and you're going to finish it. You're not going to start it and somebody else finish it. Joshua, you're going to finish it. And David is saying to Solomon, you can trust God to complete. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. That's the... That's the blessedness that David has as he reflects back and as he is ready. He is ready to, he is ready to depart. I don't want to wait until my time comes to be ready. I want to be ready now so that when my time comes, I'm ready. He had invested his life in preparing. Who are you investing your life in? Who are you pouring your life in? It may be your biological child or it may be someone in your biological family, or it may be someone in your church family, or it may be someone in your community, or someone in your neighborhood, or it may be those who are older than you, or it may be those that are younger than you. But who are you investing your life in to prepare to know God? He said, Solomon, I want you to know God. If there's one thing that I can say to you, to you as a church family, Above all that I pray for, I pray with Paul the Apostle that you may know Christ. When Paul could pray anything else he wanted to pray for the churches, he said, I want you to know Christ. Solomon is prepared, or David is prepared to die, and he says, Solomon, there's one thing I can say to you before I die, know God. David invested his life in Solomon. David invested his life in preparing the temple. God said, David, you can't do it, but here's what I want you to, here's, here's your son Solomon is going to do it. David didn't step back and say, well, okay, I'll just leave it all up to Solomon. David says, I may not can build it, but God didn't say I couldn't put money into it. God didn't say I couldn't have a plan ready for it. God didn't say I couldn't write some of the worship songs to be sung in it. God didn't say I couldn't have everything ready so that when Solomon's time came, it, everything went forward. David gave over 115 tons of the purest gold for the preparing of the temple. 265 tons of silver were donated by David. We talk about the grandeur of Solomon's temple. Do you know that the grandeur of Solomon's temple very largely came from the generosity of David and the plans for the priest and the architectural plans? They were given by the Spirit of God to David. David had invested his life in what was to come. You know what is my temple? It's what's going to happen after I'm gone. God has not, God's not allowed me to work after I'm gone. That sounds so simplistic, but it's true. And I may wish that God would allow me to stay around long enough to do that task. But God will not. God, will, God has someone else to carry that task on. But what I want to do is do everything that I can so that when my time comes to depart and my journey ends and my epitaph is written on my tombstone when God writes that tombstone I want it to be he has done everything he could for the next person or the next generation or those who will come behind that they can carry the faith on he invested in that there was songs written there was organizational preparation 
David came to the end of his life and it was a time of readiness. A time of reflection, a time of readiness, but we want to live our lives so that at the end of our lives it is a time of rejoicing. And I'm not talking about those who rejoice that we're gone. I want you to look over into chapter 29. In verse 10, do you see what David does here? In verse 9, the people rejoiced. They gave to the treasury of the house of God for the building of the temple. Then the people rejoiced, in verse 9, for that they offered willingly, because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with a great joy. David, your life is coming to an end. Your reign as king is coming to an end. The task that you wanted to do with all your heart is about to start, and you're not even going to get to see it. What are you going to do, David? I'm going to sit over here and mope and bemoan what I don't get to do and get to see. No, David rejoiced with a great joy. And he bursts into song. Verse 10, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. What is he doing? He is singing praise to God. He is rejoicing in God. Why? Because he knows that God is over all. And anything that he enjoyed in this life came by God's gracious hand. I don't know if David had already prepared this song. I don't know if he wrote several drafts of it to get it ready to sing. I firmly believe that David had reached such a point in his life. The man's been writing psalms, inspired psalms most of his life. I believe that David's heart was so full of worship that when the time came that the words just burst from his heart, his heart was filled and what was in his heart, out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth spoke and he spoke these words of praise to God. I want my heart to be so full of Jesus that when words come out and when things come out, it is praise to God and it is worship to God. And David at this last moment of his life, when he sees everything coming to end, he rejoices with a great joy because God is the one who is at work and it is his kingdom that is forever. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of praise. Is your heart so full of praise to God that you just, as the old man used to say, get a, get a case, bad case of the can't help us. I don't know if any of y'all, some of y'all probably never had. Most of us look like we had ever had a bad case of the canned heifets. But when the Lord gets in our heart and our heart gets full, we just can't help ourselves. And David begins to sing praise to God. I want you to see the verse at the end of this chapter, near the end of this chapter. That is God's epitaph of David. Verse 28. And he, David died in a good old age. Brother Dean, that's the Hebrew form of well-stricken in years. He died in a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. 
and Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. You know, there will come a time when unless Jesus returns, when it won't be reigning and being king, but they'll say this one passed and his children or her children were there in in their stead. He died in a good old age. God blessed him, full of years. Not all are blessed with that, but David was. But here's a more important epitaph that I want to read to you this morning. You can find it later. It's in Acts chapter 13. Paul is preaching, and he's speaking about all the history of the Old Testament. And he talks about David, and he comes to verse 36. And this is a divine epitaph of David. He says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep. David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, there is no greater honor than for God to say they served their time, their generation, according to my will. That's what Paul was praying for. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Who is he talking about? He's talking about those who serve God according to the, serve their generation according to the will of God. Each of us is given an amount of time that we don't know. We didn't get to choose when we got here, and we don't always get to choose when we leave, but that length of time is the time, the generation that God gives us. Are we serving? Are we investing our life? Are we serving our generation according to the will of God? When we do that, I believe with all of my heart, those are the ones who when they enter into the presence of God will hear those words we're all longing to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So this morning, here's my question. Are you just spending your life Are you wasting your life or are you investing your life? Laying up for ourselves, not treasures on earth where moth and dust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, but laying up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor dust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. Setting our affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Seeking first the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God and his righteousness investing our life. On that, you have a choice. Father, help us to decide now whether we will merely spend our lives, whether we will waste them, or whether we will invest them in eternal things. As we face this new year, Father, I pray for each one here this morning We're all faced with this decision, not when we reach the end of our lives, but while we're living it. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you will speak to those who are caught up in the frivolous things of this world. Their affections are on the things of this world, not in the things in heaven. 
They are not seeking first the kingdom of God. They're seeking first the kingdom of man. Father, I pray that you will speak to us. May we evaluate. May this morning we commit. Lord, may there be one that steps out from where they are and comes to this altar to trust you as their Savior. Our Father, maybe they, right where they are, simply just pray and say, God, I want to enter into covenant with you, with Jesus Christ as my Savior. Whatever the case might be, Lord, I pray that when we reach the end of our journey, it will be a time of rejoicing, a time of readiness, not a time of remorse or regret, but a time of joy in you. We pray and we ask this in